to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. We have come into our final three messages in this book that I believe has spoken very directly into our year and at the end of yet another surprising and painful week in our nation as we continue even with the new year to face uncertain cultural events and more urgently the ongoing battle with our own sinfulness and didn't give up at the end of the year we come to God's magnificent word God speaking to people is the lighthouse of every week. Studying His Word is more valuable to us objectively than a thousand news headlines and a million tweets. It is more authoritative to us than our instincts in response to events like those at the Capitol this week. It is more authoritative than our instincts. It is more powerful than our fears. It is more comforting than our inner thoughts. It is more important than national elections and national divisions. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And we gratefully listen and believe. God speaking to us from 1 Peter chapter 5, the second half of verse 5 this morning. Let's read together. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Lord, please bless the preaching and the obeying of Your Word. Well, the champion boxer... Muhammad Ali, nothing if not transparent, once declared, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. <laughs> we live in a proud world. I remember hearing, the, or hearing of the fact that the media mogul Ted Turner, uh, I read a quote from him where he said, Something like, if, if I just had a little humility, I would be perfect. <laughs> I remember Winston Churchill quote where he said, I am prepared to meet my maker. But whether my maker is prepared for the ordeal of meeting me is another matter. We live in a, in a proud world. Now, not all of us would be as brazen as, as athletes and political leaders, media moguls, but, but in our hearts, we are proud. 
we find it hard to be humble. We see pride in our hearts, and we see it all around us. We have seen pride on display online and in public figures this year with great repetition. Pride, it seems, is doing quite well. Politicians are proud. Countries are proud. Athletes are proud. Actors are proud. And we, even God's people, are proud. But we are called to humility. We are called to humility. And thankfully, kindly, God has not just given us a a blunt command to be humble, but also the most incredible motivation in the world. It's a kind of, of nuclear engine of motivation that can propel us away from our natural and normal state of pride and finding it hard to be humble because of how great we think we are toward an unnatural, a supernatural condition of humility. And that motivation is God Himself, especially God as His sovereign character is revealed toward pride and humility. You could put it this way, the character of God toward pride and humility compels us to be humble. The character of God toward pride and humility compels us to be humble. Whether it's Muhammad Ali or Winston Churchill or any number of athletes or political figures or ourselves, if we're honest, the reason we are finding it hard to be humble is because we are not yet aware of the greater God that is observing us. Our greatness has eclipsed in some moments His greatness, and especially His greatness as it is applied, consciously and purposefully applied to the opposite traits of pride and humility. Well, that's what Peter wants to address in us, and Peter is in a position to know. This man who wrote these pages was the same man who said to the Lord Jesus, though all fall away from you, I will not. Though all betray you, I will not. And then just a few hours later found him weeping for his utter failure. If anyone knows that pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction, it is Peter. And so when Peter says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, he knows what he is talking about. And he comes to us in our our natural and international and global state of pride, and he says, look, what you need is to see how God's character is positioned, is directed towards pride and humility so that you can be propelled, you can run as fast as you can towards humility. The character of God toward pride and humility compel us to be humble. Now, this passage is is almost poetic in its rhythm. It hinges on two commands, two parallel commands, really, that present God's descriptions of God as motivations for humility. And then the second command concludes 
with a particular and perhaps a surprising application of humility. So I want to walk through those two commands and then leave some time for that application because I think it will serve us especially as we walk through the events of this week. Now the first command, let's look down here at your Bibles, the second half of verse 5. He's been speaking about elders. He transitioned to those who are younger to be subject to the elders, and now he addresses all of the flock. The common command they are all to apply is they are to clothe themselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. We might caption this command, humility toward other Christians. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Notice the metaphor of clothing. This is meant to be something that is as regular with us as getting dressed for the day. As surely as getting dressed for company, we must put on humility. It must be that thing that people are aware of when they encounter us. I was talking to my children about this passage, and one of them made the point, it's the thing people should see. What they should note about you is that you are humble. They should encounter humility as surely as they encounter clothing. D. Edmund Hebert, the commentator, makes an, an excellent observation. He says, in all probability, the term, this clothe yourselves term, reflects Peter's recollection of the act of Jesus in the upper room when he tied on an actual apron and washed the disciples' feet, performing this slave's service to which none of them would stoop. As Jesus himself said, a servant is not above his master. This humility that he displayed was meant to be present among his people. It was meant to define his people. They were to be clothed with humility to one another. Clothed with humility, covered with it, positioned towards it. This is the garb of the Christian. This is the style of the Christian. A Christian style is to be humble. They are to be lowly. They are to be servant-hearted, displayed towards those fellow believers in the garb of a servant. And notice, it's important to understand, humility is not just some quiet, mystical thing we have in our heart towards God. It's to be revealed toward God's people. There should be people who experience our humility. They are to be the recipients of our humility. Philippians says we're to count others more significant than ourselves. So you might say every Christian you meet, you are to treat as if they outrank you. We are to be a, a subordinate, you could say, an inferior even, you could say, of those who are around us in our disposition towards them. Their time is more important than my time. Their feelings than my feelings. Their needs than my needs. You can go down the list. Their, their, their disposition is towards lowliness in reflection of the King who lowered Himself to save us. Now, Peter could just give us the command, but he moves on to this stark motivation. Why should we clothe ourselves with humility toward one another? Well, in this case, Peter says it's because of God's character toward the pride and the humility present in individual hearts. What is that, what is that disposition? God opposes the proud. He quotes the Old Testament here. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God does not view pride with annoyance and certainly not with a kind of shrugging amusement. 
We can sometimes find those who are sort of brazenly boastful, either amusing in one moment, we, we would never say it that way, or annoying if they happen to be around us enough times. But God finds pride neither. It's not amusing and it's not annoying. He views it with enmity. God views pride the way a father views a poisonous snake next to his baby. It's an enemy. He opposes it. One commentator made the point, this, is, this term depicts God as arraying himself for battle against an opponent, against an enemy. God opposes the proud. He sets himself against the proud. Those who are committed to their own pride will find that God is committed against them. And God also provides the positive motivation as well. God gives grace to the humble. It is not the case that God helps those who help themselves. No, God helps those who humble themselves. God helps those. He gives grace to those who humble themselves. We tend to put a lot of stock in those who are self-sufficient. And the danger of that is we can tend to exalt self-confidence when we should just be admiring and, and even applauding and pursuing hard work. Hard work is good. Self-confidence or confidence in our work is dangerous. Those who want to receive God's favor are those who cast themselves on God's mercy, who recognize that they have nothing in themselves to boast in, that left to themselves they are nothing, they have nothing. All that they have God has given, and so they cast themselves on God. Their disposition is to say, the character of God towards humility makes me want to run towards humility. Who does God give His favor to, His grace to? Those who declare their need for it. Those who reject all confidence in themselves. Those who do not boast in their own great greatness. Those who do not trust in their own strength. God gives grace to who? To the humble. To the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Notice He doesn't give them a salary. Our humility does not put God in our debt. Humility doesn't give God something He needs. It is our declaration that we have nothing in ourselves and that all that we need comes from Him. And God gives favor, grace to that person. And really, this is the, this is the glorious truth of our salvation. This is the gospel applied in daily life. In the gospel, we come to Jesus with nothing but our debt and our need and our punishment that we deserve, and the Lord gives to us His grace, His favor. We don't come to God with our, our future godliness, our declarations that we will one day benefit Him, and we don't come to God saying we were better than our neighbor. We come to God saying, all I have is need for a Savior. And that is precisely what he provides, a Savior, grace, favor, unmerited atonement, unmerited love. That's what God gives us in the gospel. But sometimes it's easy for Christians to start out their, their salvation, their walk towards Christ with that, that sense of utter worthlessness in themselves, and then to become confident and desperate that God would view us through our good works through our growth in godliness, through our maintenance of spiritual disciplines, through our humility even, 
that our humility would somehow impress God and endear Him to us as some credit that we have in, in His accounting. But no, the Christian is always one who declares, I have nothing before you. I need you. I am not impressive in myself. I don't have any of my own strength. I don't have any of my own abilities. My Christian experience is not a a reason for me to boast. All that I have, you have given me. The character of God towards pride and humility, in which He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, should propel us towards humility. We want God's grace, and obviously, for the Christian who is in Christ, God's opposition doesn't come as judgment or as wrath that He's holding over the Christian the moment they are proud again. No, but it can come in the form of fatherly discipline in their life, the humbling that all Christians experience at one point or another through circumstances or through their interaction with others, that they begin to see in a fresh way their need for God's grace. Look, look, Christian, God will never stop loving you if you pursue pride, but He will bring discipline into your life. It's not that suddenly when you are humble, you are becoming a Christian again, but a Christian needs grace in all kinds of ways. Grace to parent, grace to evangelize, grace to serve, grace to have joy. And and it's only the one who casts himself on God that experiences that influx of grace into their life. This is the standard disposition of God, and it should motivate how we think about one another. God looks down at His church and He says, where are those who are humbling themselves toward others? I am eager to lift them up and to strengthen them by my grace. Where are those who are exalting themselves towards others? I am opposed to that kind of pride. I will resist them in fatherly discipline. And for those people who spend a lifetime promoting themselves, they will find in the end that God will put them down. Because God will not be mocked. What one sows, one will reap. And pride reaps God's opposition, whether wrathful opposition to the unbeliever who has never declared his need for Jesus or fatherly opposition to the child who refuses to ask his father for help. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, the second command reinforces and complements the first. We might label this humility toward God's providence. We're to be humble toward other Christians, lest we think humility is just a private affair, us and God. No, humility toward one another, but also humility towards God, towards God's providence. Humble yourselves, he repeats himself in verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, in light of God's character, he points back again, God opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble, therefore, therefore, because of that, because of who God is, because of what he has said he would be like, because of God, because of God's character, his promise to be opposed to pride, to be gracious towards humility, because of that, humble yourselves under his mighty hand. It is the most obvious application in the world. I, I was, oh man, I was driving a, a, some time ago, and I, I can, came over sort of an overpass 
on the highway on a frontage road, and I came across this poor guy who his truck was on the side of the road. He had some cases of water bottles in his truck, but evidently he had lost one of them because they were scattered all over the highway. And cars were coming, and obviously he was standing on the side of the road somewhat uncertain and indecisive as to what he was supposed to do. I'm sure he felt some responsibility that water bottles are just everywhere. But what's he going to do? He's not going to run out in traffic and face oncoming trucks. He's he's vulnerable in that moment. The, the, The very power of a truck that was helping him get this load home is now endangering him if he runs out into the street alone. And I I think that's similar to what this passage is saying. If God is helping you, you have all the power you need to serve and honor Him. But if you are standing against God in your own strength, you are in great danger. The same power that is overwhelming when it is dispositioned towards you because you are trusting in it and placing your cares upon it and your hope in it endangers you or is, is harmful towards you, we might say, if you position yourself against it. I think that's the point that Peter's making here. Look, if you try to oppose God in pride, you, you will find his strength a, a, a fearful thing. If you humble yourself and get in the truck, you will find his strength a delightful thing. Far, far stronger than you could ever be on your own. Therefore, in light of God's opposition to pride and his grace towards humility, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. The mighty hand of God is described in Scripture as that display of his power. You might think of Egypt when he displayed his power against Pharaoh the proud and toward his people to raise them up. That the the relative strength of their arms or their natural might was irrelevant when God's mighty hand came into the picture. In other words, if you do not walk in humility... This therefore word, if you don't walk in humility, you are daring God to oppose you. And if you walk in humility, you are guaranteed to receive God's grace. Now, in every moment, in moments of marriage and business and parenting and relationships, we have a simple choice. We are under God's hand. God's providence is at work in our life. And in light of the context of this letter, it is probable that he is referring to God's hand in positioning his people in difficult circumstances, challenging circumstances. Just earlier in the letter, he talked about a citizen who is submitting to an ungodly emperor, or a slave who is submitting to an ungodly master, or a wife who is submitting to an ungodly husband. So, Peter is very aware of the mighty hand of God who sometimes positions Christians in painful circumstances. Not such that they're called to sin ever, but such that their life is restricted by the difficulty around them. And we can think of other mighty hand actions of God. We think of physical suffering that He allows 
at times in the lives of his saints. We can think of relational challenges. We can think of job challenges. We can think of internal mental challenges that people face. The mighty hand of God coming in and creating a providence that is challenging in their lives. But it means that in every of these practical moments, and especially when that hand is positioned us in a way that we do not like and we chafe against, we do not want to dare God's opposition. We want to receive God's grace. God's mighty hand will certainly place us in moments in seasons where our pride wants to resist. We, we can even be in denial that we're in that situation. No, I, I refuse to accept this providence in my life. I, I refuse. I will not accept your mighty hand. I, I, I will fix it in my own strength. I, I will engineer a way out of this problem or I'll just be angry at you, or I'll just indulge sin to absorb the pain of this situation, or I'll try to look for some escape or some denial. No, I will not submit to your hand. I'm standing up against your mighty hand. That's the natural response of our hearts. We are like that toddler. Dad says, sit down. He says, no, I don't want to sit down. Get in bed. No. Often in our lives, God creates providences where his mighty hand has us positioned in ways. It is uncomfortable. I don't like that my body works this way. My mind works this way. My spouse works this way. My child is that way. My pastor is that way. My church is that way. My car is that way. I don't like it. And we stand up. I don't like this. We shout or we groan or we mumble or we self-medicate or we escape to Netflix or alcohol or sleep, sugar, ranting. Sometimes what's going on is we're saying, I don't like your hand. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And here's this incredible motivation. So that at the proper time, He may exalt you. This passage is not about a cruel father who just loves putting his children in their place. No, the, 
the passage is about a father who, who wants to help his children understand that he is working for their good. It is not that he never wants them to be exalted. God is not the father that says, you know what would be best is if you were never seen and never heard. No. God says, you have to sit here for now. You have to be lowly for now. Feel the strength of my hand for now, positioning you in this place. And I know it's hard. And I know you have to humble yourself. But sit willingly. Sit peacefully. Respond quickly to the pressure of my hand on your soul. Be responsive quickly because that same strong hand, it will exalt you. It will lift you up in honor, in affirmation, in glory. And likely in light of Peter's emphasis on the return of the Lord, this is primarily focused on that day of vindication for his humble people. It might have practical expressions in this life. We've all had experiences where we humbled ourselves and later on God brought some natural vindication. But I think primarily the focus here is on the ultimate exaltation that God gives to his humble people. That he lifts them up. That the same mighty hand that conquered Pharaoh lifted up his people out of Egypt and they plundered the Egyptians. The same hand that caused Jesus to go to his knees in the garden and to be impaled on the cross, lifted him out of the grave and took him into the highest heaven. The same hand that humbled Peter in conviction lifted him up in restoration. This is the mighty hand of God. The same hand that sent Joseph into Egypt in chains brought him to Pharaoh's throne to rescue his brothers. The same hand that humbles us in mysterious and painful circumstances inside our own head and outside in our relationships and in our country and in our world that we do not understand and we cannot control, that same hand lifts us up in the end. God's character towards pride and humility should compel us to run for humility Do you really want your own arm fighting against God to lift yourself up or God's arm lifting you up? Would you rather arm wrestle God or be carried by God? Listen, grumbling, complaining, resisting, self-indulging. You know what I'm trying to do? Arm wrestle God. The humble child says, I don't understand this, but yes, Lord, I I don't understand, a Christian might have said in the first century, why you've allowed me to live in the Roman Empire. Why do I have no say at all in what Nero does? Boy, this seems like a heavy-handed situation, Lord. Yes, it does. Humble yourself under my mighty hand. This is a hard marriage, Lord. My spouse is just not responding. I, I, I'm trying, but they don't, they don't seem to be 
answering or, 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 or doing what I, I think they should be doing in light of all my efforts. It, it feels hard, Lord. I'm, I'm being put in a place that's uncomfortable. Yes, you are. Humble yourselves towards my mighty hand. Lord, my, my mind doesn't work the way it should. I'm, I, I, I have depression that I face and anxiety, and I, I don't like it. Why can't I be like other people? This is, this is a heavy load. Why can other people just wake up and they're happy? I wake up and I'm sad. They can just go right to sleep at night. I go to bed and I stay awake thinking about all the things that could go wrong. This is a heavy load, Lord. I don't, I don't like this. Why? I'm angry about this. It's a fatherly hand. You can't always know why, but you can know that when you humble yourself under his mighty hand, that same hand at the proper time will lift you up. I think that this command flowing into this particular description is so relevant for us right now in our, our world. It really is at all moments of the Christian life, but it, it just struck me the kindness of God in our just section-by-section section exegetical preaching to bring us to this description this morning. Because humility has an effect on all other kinds of virtue. It, it affects joy and servanthood. It, it, it affects complaining and trust and anxiety and worry. It, it has this, this broad effect on all Christian virtues. It's actually precisely what Augustine said. He said, humility is the foundation of all other virtues. Hence, in the soul in which this virtue does not exist, there cannot be any other virtue except in mere appearance. In other words, if, if you're not humble, you can't really be truly joyful. If you're not humble, you can't actually be truly peaceful. If you're not humble, you, you can't actually be a real servant. Humility has this, this effect on all Christian virtues because Psalm 127 is true. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. If you try to boast in your own might and strength, you will find that God will resist you. But if you declare that it is not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord, well, then you will find that you are like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. And so... Peter provides this delightful description. What, what does it mean to humble ourselves toward the providence of God? Well, one thing it means for sure is to cast all our anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now, I, I want to make a point here. This word, this is where grammar is actually delightful in the Scriptures. Grammar is actually so fun. You notice that, that verse 7 where it says, casting all your anxieties? That's actually not a command, cast all your anxieties, although certainly uh, that is the implication. It's actually a description of how we humble ourselves. In this case, be, obviously to say God could command us and does elsewhere, 
to do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. So there's, there's commands that are just like this in a command form. But th- this is actually making a point about the connection between worry and pride. Between prayerful dependence and humility. In other words, worry is lifting ourselves up against the hand of God. And casting our cares or prayerfully depending on God is submitting to His strong hand. It's it's important to put worry in its proper place. It's it's not just a kind of a glass-half-full personality trait. No, it's arrogance. It's declaring to God that my mind and my resources are more powerful than your strength. My wisdom is better than your providence. My perspective about this life and this world is more impressive than your omniscient ability to see all things at all times with perfect clarity. So so worry, when we worry, we are contending with God. We are resisting Him, and when we cast our cares on the Lord, we are humbling ourselves before Him, and according to the passage, we are inviting His grace. Cast your cares on the Lord. That is what it means to humble ourselves before Him, to be dependent. Isn't this a delightful God that we serve? What, how would you define God God, how would you define humility? I want to humble myself. How can I be humble? Give me every worry you have because I care about you. Well, I want to be submissive. How can I be submissive? Let me start here. Cast all of your needs on me because I care about you. Father, how do I... How do I be a humble son, a humble daughter? What does it look like to be obedient and submissive? It looks like giving me every worry that you have. How different from the father who says, you pick that load up and you carry it. Our father says, you give me that load and you let me carry it. If you want to find out what gets you in trouble with God, it is refusing to ask God for help. How dare you try to do that without asking me for help? How dare you try to parent or be a husband or be a wife or be a Christian without asking me for help? How dare you try to do this in your own strength? How dare you? What are you doing out there in the middle of the road picking up water bottles with your hands? My truck is right here. Don't you dare carry your anxieties. You're resisting my hand. You're only going to find them multiply, and you're only going to find them more and more burdensome. The more you worry, the more you will worry. The more you'll find you have to worry about. The more you trust, the more you want to trust, and the more delightful you'll find finding new things to trust about. Casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Isn't this the purchase of Christ on the cross? That God the Father cares for you. 
that he has set his love on you. It does not mean that you get to tell him what your life should be like. It means that he tells you whatever your life is like, it is a revelation of his love for you. It doesn't mean you get to have physical and national and social just ease all the time. It means that the God of the universe has positioned himself in loving kindness towards you. It means that when you're in traffic, God is caring for you. It means that when you're struggling in your marriage, God cares for you. It means when you are uncertain about your job, God cares for you. It means when you are battling that difficult sin, God cares for you. And we express that when we cast those cares on Him. A major expression of pride is anxiety and self-sufficiency. And a major expression of humility is active trust. I want to reiterate something I said this week to our, our members. It is so important to distinguish between affirming the doctrine of casting our cares and actually casting our cares on God. We can sit in a message and nod. I totally believe we should trust God. Yes, I'm, I am a pro-trust God Christian. But go through our week and never actually verbalize silently or, or, or externally our trust in God. We say, I, I totally believe we should trust God for work. I totally believe we should cast our cares on God for our marriage. I totally believe we should cast our cares on God for our finances and that our house wouldn't fall apart and that leak would stop and my truck wouldn't die and, and my neighbor would, would, would stop doing whatever they're doing at night. And I, I pray that these things would be true of me on Sunday and I, I spend a week absorbing and holding on to my cares. Listen, there is a big difference between saying we believe in trusting God and expressing trust in God during the week. You got a hard email to, to send? Cast it on God. You got a hard conversation to have? Cast it on God. You got a hard morning and it's, it's just the first couple of minutes? Cast it on God. You got a sick kid? Cast it on God. You got a, a difficult relationship with your parents? Cast it on God. You got a troublesome brother or sister? Cast it on God. It is a, a way of humbling ourselves before Him. It's a way of saying, I don't have what I need for this. You got a job that you've done a thousand times pretty well? And maybe you're tempted to think you can do it a thousand and one in your own strength. Cast it on God. You got an angry boss? Cast it on God. You got a hard-hearted child or father or grandfather or cousin? Cast it on God. You have a nation that is divided, angry, and self-righteous? Cast it on God. You have leaders that are selfishly ambitious in one moment, deceitful the next moment. You have murky uncertainties about who's pulling the levers in the world and what powerful people are doing to harm normal people. Cast it on God. Doesn't mean no Christians are called to do anything about anything. Yes, of course they are. Where God gives clear callings and purpose in Christians in all manners of life and society, they should take responsibility and take stewardship seriously. But my greater concern is that we hold on to anxieties that we can do nothing about. 
rather than casting them on God. You don't know what the future of this country is? I don't either. Cast it on God. You don't know what happens when people are as angry as they have been this last year? I don't either. Cast it on God. The Christian who ruminates about things they cannot control are inviting God's opposition because they are not casting it on God. Cast it because he cares for you. He cares for you. And he is stronger than any political leader or party or nation. He is more eternal than any culture. He is more comforting than any normalcy. He is more just than any human system. He is more truthful than any human leader. He is God, and this God cares for you. He is more certain, more sure, more trustworthy, more loving, more powerful, more all-knowing. He knows everything and controls it all, and He cares for you. The character of God toward pride and toward humility should compel us toward humility and, in particular, the humility of casting our cares on God. Look, I want to give you one, one significant application. I want you to practice saying a resounding no to your anxieties this week as an expression of humility before the Lord. When anxiety comes, whatever it is, What's that sound at the night? What's going on with that child? Is this conversation going to be hard? What's that news item? What's the next surprising thing that's going to come across the culture of the news feed? I don't know. When that anxiety comes, I want you to say, no. I will not worry about that. I will not give in to holding those water bottles and stumbling down the road in my own strength. I am tossing them to you. I am humbling myself under your mighty hand. I will not worry. I will do what you have made me to do, what you have given me to do clearly, and I will trust you. If you give me ways that I can obey, ways I can make a difference, ways I can influence, I will do those things trusting in you. No, I will not worry. And yes, I will trust you because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, brothers and sisters, do not nod your head now and worry all week. This is God's word. It is meant to change us. It is meant to turn us into those who cast their cares on him. If you've been straining against a particular strong hand of the Lord in your life, stop Accept the providence that he has for you and trust him.
If you've been proud towards your family or toward others, acting as if you are more significant than them rather than the reverse, stop. Repent and turn to God, and he gives grace. Grace to the humble. Grace to the dependent. Grace to those casting their cares on him. The character of our God should compel us toward humility. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that this word from you, these these verses, these commands, would change us this week, this day, Lord, as we drive home. May we be casting our cares on you. Lord, we lay it all on you. Lord, you, you carry our burdens. You tell us to come to you who are heavy laden and that you will give us rest. We take your yoke, serving in ways you have called us to serve and trusting in you. Lord, we we lay our our nation before you, our, our leaders before you. We lay them before you, Lord. They are in your hands. Please, please, Lord. Do with them what is righteous and just. Lord, we lay our families before you, our sanctification before you, our jobs before you, our houses, our cars, our children, our parents, our health, our sadnesses. We lay them before you in humble trust in you. And Lord, now receive this declaration and make it our declaration In our daily lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.